first known rules of golf were drawn up in 1744 by the gentlemen golfers of Edinburgh in Leith, Scotland. Since then, the game has changed dramatically. Golf courses, equipment, and not least the rules. So where do I go when I want to learn about the rules of the game today? Well, I go to the Golf Rules Questions podcast with Blakey and Roscoe, of course. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of the Golf Rules Questions podcast. everybody and welcome back to another episode of the Golf Rules Questions podcast. My name's Roscoe, your co-host and sitting virtually opposite once again, the Golf Rules Questions master himself, Blakey. Blakey, great to see you again. We're uh, seeing a lot of each other at the moment. We're starting to, I'm starting to uh, really feel close to you in, in terms of my learning of the Golf Rules and uh, I'm enjoying that because I'm getting ready to play golf again, which is exciting. I don't know when, hopefully next week, maybe the week after, but I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready because I'm mentally prepared and I'm Golf Rules prepared. How are you, sir? You well? Going really well, yes. Uh, hopefully we get some golf uh, allowance from the government very soon. I see that you've been practising in the backyard, so not only are you mentally prepared, golf rules prepared, but your short game uh, is up to it as well. Yeah, still a way to go on that, but thanks for asking, and I appreciate your inquiry into my short game. Uh, I do feel more confident than I did uh, a few weeks ago after getting some great instruction from uh, Dom as a party, and thank you to Dom. I, I know you'll be listening because you're a massive Golf Rules Questions podcast listener. That's Dom as a party out there in Queensland. Uh, appreciate that, but uh, no, I've just been enjoying getting the club in the hand and you know, sculling a few. I mean, chipping a few into the uh, agaves and the other uh, succulents that uh, misses uh, my love of golf slash golf rules questions podcast tends to in the backyard and i do my best to uh stay out of the way with a, a lob wedge or a sand wedge or whatever it is but um no mate it's just good to get out there and feel the face uh the ball on face if uh, the golf ball on the face of the golf club uh, which is which is a good thing to have yeah nice uh is that uh how you broke that last net from a few scold chip shots no no <laughs> that was a secret no one saw the net break until you just blew that cover the net broke because it blew over in the wind so I've, yes i've been running with a, a different net and i've you know i've been trialing a few different nets and i think i'm settled on my um net uh setup it's a fantastic net that i've got for myself and i can fold it up and it goes in a bag and uh, if anyone wants to know what type of net that i'm using well you can see that on my uh, instagram at ross.flanagan.golf and uh, if you've got any questions about nets please feel free to hit me up about net questions and i can give you the lay down on nets for backyard golfology no problems at all now blakey there's a little bit quiet on the rules front emanating from uh, the main stages of the tours from the weekend. Uh, we had the, the Shriners. Uh, not a lot happening over there at uh, TPC Summerlin. Uh, by the way, uh, I just want to say, Blakey, if I can go with a bit of tour talk at the moment, I hope you had a dollar on, not that this is a gambling but if anyone does want to, you know, talk about gambling, you know, sponsorship, you know, because that seems to be the only things that get sponsorship at the moment in podcasting is if you talk about gambling. Uh, but I did pick up from one podcast the tip of young Diane Knox. Now, Diane Knox is the sister of Russell Knox, a great sporting Scottish family, moved out of Scotland a long time ago. Diane was on radio, moved over to America where her brother was, and uh, she gave me the tip, she gave the world the tip of uh, Martin Laird. And she put that on she's on her podcast with uh, Steve Elkington and talked to a couple of other pundits. 250 to 1. Diane Knox came out and said, I'm backing Martin Laird for the win at 250 to 1. I think the collective golf world sort of chuckled and said, no, he hasn't won since 2009. But she cited, won there before, lost in the playoff before, plays well there, is due. And Martin Laird, you know, holding out of the bunker for an eagle from the impossible lie, you know, one foot in, buried and you know, wins in the second hole of the playoff with a 22-feet bomb against one of the players of the times, um, and plus another one as well, um, young Austin uh, Cook. But what a win for Martin Laird at 250-1. to 1. I hope you had a bit of that action. Uh, no, no, I didn't have uh, any action on that. I don't usually bet on the golf. But that was an interesting shot that he holed out from the bunker. Uh, it did look like a very impossible lie. I got a question about whether that was... Firmly placing his feet or building a stance, it didn't look like anything but firmly placing his feet, which you're permitted to do uh, in a bunker. Uh, he didn't look like he was moving the sand around. 
more than what he was entitled to do uh, in taking a stance. And, yeah, what a fantastic shot there from Martin and, and good comeback after making bogey on the last. Once again, I've we had no idea that we were going to go down that little track there and me talking about... Uh, 251 and a Scotsman winning. I'm always going to talk about the Scotsman winning because it doesn't happen very often in any form of sport, let alone golf. But uh, I was always going to talk about it. But, you know, you mentioned building a stance. Now, I see that pop up on whenever that happens on your, once again, please check it out at Blakey's YouTube, at Golf Rules Questions YouTube site, the growing resource for anything to do with golf rules. Um, You get that one a bit, you know. So can we just talk about that for briefly? Once again, wasn't on the run sheet, but we may as well talk about it because you introduced it. What should or we should not do more more importantly when we're in a bunker taking a fair stance? Uh, yeah, so when you're in a bunker, obviously the soil or sand, whatever the material is that is in the bunker, which is usually sand, is quite loose. So it's almost ridiculous to think that you wouldn't be able to, uh, you know, or, or you'd be trying not to move it at all. That just could not happen because it's already loose and you're going in there and taking a stance. Now, building a stance is all about moving loose impediments or moving movable obstructions. Sand outside of, or sand at all, is not a loose impediment. It used to be on the green, but they changed that. So it's, it's not a loose impediment at all. Uh, so then we go to, uh, so that was sort of subsection two. Subsection three is about moving sand around and creating holes and um, leveling off and trying to create a level sort of uh, stance or, or whatnot. So it's, it used to sort of be under building a stance, uh, but moving sand is, is less about building a stance and just about. Uh, getting an improvement in your conditions from just moving the sand around. And if you were to sort of smash down the side of the bunker so that you're more in a level uh, stance, uh, or it doesn't even have to be in the bunker, but it's just more normal or more frequent that it would happen in a bunker because, as I said, that's the place where you're going to get, you know, these, these sort of loose this loose sand, these lies of um, standing in dirt or sand that moves around. So you're allowed to walk into the bunker, you're allowed to plant your feet in your intended position of where you're going to strike, make the, the shot from, but you are allowed to, you know, gain a suitable footing. Basically, that's that's it, you know. If, and if that is moving your feet around so your feet are stable, is that the real intention of what you're allowed to do, but you can't then pull your foot out and then pack it in a bit more and take a, another, you know, stance again, or, you know, you can't push sand around with your feet to level it up, or you can take your footing and then, then you've got to go from there. Is that right? Uh, well, actually, you can uh, take your stance, then come back out and then take your stance again. But as we talked about with uh, in episode nine, I think, with Patrick Reed. Uh, it's all about an improvement and it's all about intention of making an improvement or getting an improvement of your conditions. So, you know, if you are just going in there and just sort of making sure you've got a firm footing, sometimes if the sand is quite loose, um, you might you might drop down an inch and a half. That doesn't necessarily mean that you've built a stance because you could still be on the same level so really what improvement have you actually gained there mm-hmm. uh, whereas if you're knocking down a side of the bunker or just putting sand underneath where you're about to stand now you're creating a different uh, level to stand on that wasn't there previously okay mm-hmm. So there's a big difference in those two uh, sort of actions. You know, mm-hmm. one would be one would be reasonable, the firmly placing your your feet, and the other wouldn't be uh, so reasonable because you're going to improve your uh, improve your conditions that that area of where you're standing. Okay, so what Martin Laird did, if you go back and have a look at that video. Yeah, you know, he wasn't improving his conditions. He was just safely taking a secure footing and playing his shot from there, which he did very, very well. 
Yeah, there's there hasn't been too many times when this has actually been called on any of the players. I remember towel under the knees. Well, that's that is building a stance because you're putting a movable obstruction, the towel, under your knees, and that's not permitted uh, to do so. Even though many would say that that was uh, many would say that that was so inconsequential, but the rules are there for a reason. And you're not you're not permitted to do that. So what we're talking uh, about what we're talking about there is uh, I can't remember the player, Craig Stadler. Craig Stadler. It was, it was, it was obviously a long time ago because Craig Stadler was in his prime in my era. Uh, not that I'm showing my age at the moment. I haven't got my glasses on this week. Um, but he put a towel under his knees because he didn't want to get his knees wet because the ground was wet and he was obviously there de- de- therefore deemed a penalty. Um, but sorry, I interrupted you. Well, sometimes I can't explain the reason behind the rules, uh, but you might be a bit miffed to find out that putting a towel under your knees is not permitted, but he could have put wet weather pants on and uh, that would have been okay. He wouldn't have been penalised for that. Mm. But he would have had to put the wet weather pants on. He couldn't have rolled them up like a towel and put them under his knees without putting them on. that's that's spot on. He would have to wear wear the clothing... As it's supposed to be worn. There you go. Well, the other tour uh, event uh, in the men's tour that happened was the PGA BMW PGA Championships at Wentworth, uh, where your good self, Blakey, have had the privilege of refereeing last year. Probably should have been, could have been there this year, but unfortunately not. And fortunately for us, you're here doing this. Sorry to, sorry to you know, play second fiddle to the BMW Championships for you, Blakey, but... Uh, we could have probably still done a podcast had you been there. But one of the things that we we did before I railroaded it with Martin Laird and 250 to 1 and building a stance, one of the things we did want to talk about was local rules. Now, it appeared that they had a local rule in place at that tournament last weekend. And we'll talk spend a bit of time with of, um, talking about that because it seems to be, you know, once again, an often talked about ruling or set of circumstances or conditions that come up in golf all the time that are changing, uh, that clubs have the ability to, or match committees have the ability to enforce. Now, the rule that happened, well, the situation that happened uh, on the weekend was, you know, what I'd call lift, clean and place. You know, you can tell me what it, what it exactly was, but obviously being that in October, uh, it's maybe been wet there at Wentworth, uh, the conditions were quite soft. So they were allowed to lift, clean and place uh, by the, apparently on the um, closely mown surface. So... What are we? What are we actually talking about there today in terms of local rules, Blakey? Yeah, well, we we've covered a few of these um, in the previous episodes, but I still get a lot of questions about local rules, simply because some people think that this rule that they're playing is a rule of golf, and this can be uh, quite um, have quite an effect on uh, players when they go to different courses and they go, oh, yeah, you can do this at my course, you know, and then the the player, you know, just thinking from a club sort of perspective and the other players are going, well, you can't do that at our course. You know, some courses might only have red penalty areas, whereas other courses might have yellow. And, you know, and, and in some courses I know that uh, – my parents' course, uh, they don't even have any penalty areas. So going in and uh, playing at a course that has penalty areas can be quite a new thing for some of those members. But I just want to really talk about local rules. And if a course or club uh, competition brings in a local rule, it's effectively the same as a rule of golf. So it's an option or an optional rule of golf that a club or a committee can bring in, can adopt for that competition. Uh, once it has been adopted, and, and whilst there are options around what local rules and how they're written, uh, they must still be authorised or they must still sit within a framework that the RNA and the USGA have created. So you can't just go and create your own local rule willy-nilly. It still has to sit within that framework uh, that's in the back of the book of the official guide to the rules of golf. So the one that you're talking about with lift, clean and place, which 
is actually uh, that's the uh, Roscoe's pointing at the players edition, which is about the size of your hand. Uh, then there's the rules of golf, which is just a little. Uh, a little bit bigger than the size of your hand, and then the official guide is uh, is about four times the size of the rules of golf. Um, with with local rules uh, and that lift, clean, and place that you were talking about, Roscoe, that used to be the name of the rule, um, but it's evolved, and now it's called preferred lies, and that's under E3. Now, there is a, a local rule called cleaning the ball, and that's under E2, and that's literally you just you have to mark it, and you can pick it up. You have the option uh, in the fairway or rough, wherever the uh, committee want it to be. You mark it, you can clean it, and you have to replace it on the same spot. But usually the tours will bring in a the preferred lies rule, which is E3, uh, where you don't have to mark it. Uh, you, you can place the ball, not replace. You can place the ball anywhere within the club length or scorecard length or hand span length, whatever the uh, committee decides, and and you can obviously clean it. So that's the preferred lies local rule that you're talking about. And if it's not in play, then obviously you're not permitted to proceed under a preferred lie. When I grew up playing golf at uh, Cessnock Country Club, I didn't know that any other rule existed because we always played preferred lies. And I remember going to my first ever junior tournament where we had to play the ball, you know, what I call off the deck, and being <laughs> being confused by what was going on because I, I we always played preferred lies. And that was obviously due to the condition of the fairways, you know, with lack of water and different grass coverings. So they just had a local rule that was perpetually in place, preferred lies. I cannot ever remember a time playing not preferred lies at that course. Yeah, there are a few courses around Australia that uh, that have such local rule in at all times. Uh, you know, a lot of people may say, uh, well, the book says that you're not supposed to have it in, um, but it, it's all it's all dependent on the condition of the course. Obviously, now if someone wants to bring it in just because there's a lot of divots, uh, we would basically say no, but. If someone wanted to bring it in because there's basically no green grass, no blades of grass, then you know it's more likely that you'll be able to uh, to have preferred lies in all year round. I mean, some courses further out uh, out west, they actually use a, an artificial mat to they take an artificial mat around with them when they play, and so wherever the ball comes to rest, you prop your artificial uh, mat. Uh, near the ball, you place your ball on the artificial mat and and play off the mat. So well, it's not know. only out, it's not only out west that that happens. And we'll take this opportunity to say hello to those listening over in uh, parts of uh, the world that are moving into a winter season. Uh, if you're a Lynx golfer, you know, and you're lucky enough to play in a Lynx course, well, you may have the ability to play year-round golf, like such as in Scotland, uh, where a Lynx course where you're close to the close to the coast, where it's a little bit less, um, the conditions are less cold, so you're more likely to have year-round golf there, but they may insist that you carry a little turf mat with you. And depending on the course, you know, you can take that turf mat with you and play off the turf. Um, but a lot of courses in those parts of the world will, will close because the, the, the ground freezes. But, yeah, Lynx golf in winter when the grass goes dormant, you know, you, you quite often take a turf mat with you. And Yeah, uh, and certainly uh, if, you're, if the Open Championship is going to be played at that course very soon, you'll be playing off artificial turf three months out or yep. two months out or whatever. So, In effect, a preferred lie. Yeah, exactly right. Well, I was going to ask you, uh, I have actually played in, in conditions where it's been compulsory tee-up. Yep. So just another form of preferred lie? Yes, very, very good. So we wouldn't recommend that uh, you have more than one condition, you know, more than one local rule adopted. You could either have cleaning the ball, if it's if it's just the, the ball that you want to be clean, it's a bit muddy or whatever, or you have preferred lie and you have it a hand span, scorecard length, club length, as I said, or tee up. You, we wouldn't say have it one or the other. I mean, what are you doing? Are you protecting the player or are you protecting the course? Now, if it's really wet, you might play tee up. So then that in that effect, you're protecting the player. If it's really dry, 
you might play tee up and in that effect you're actually protecting the course more than anything. Mm. So, uh, yeah, that is a variation of that local rule E3. Uh, the place where I did play compulsory tee up might, uh, might be the picture in the background there. Uh, there's a hint for um, the background bingo. Only happens occasionally, just with a little bit of water. But um, other than that, you know, pretty much fifty weeks of the year, it's absolutely perfect at that course there behind me for the background bingo. Uh, last question on preferred lies from me: When you do go to prefer, whether it's a handspan, a club length, or a card width, or whatever the the defined distance is, which I now know is defined by the match committee, uh, what's the proper and appropriate procedure to do that? Yeah, so you don't have to mark it, but I would always recommend that you do. When I say you don't have to mark it, it just means you're not going to get penalised if you don't, Mm -hmm. okay? Uh, Because it's a place, it's not a replace. So I'd say mark it, and that can be with a T, or it can be with the club that you've uh, got in your hand if you've got a club. So you just rest the, uh, you might just rest the head of the club beside the ball, pick the ball up, you might give it a shine on uh, on the trousers, and then place it within the designated area uh, that the committee has, as you said, the match committee has um, dictated. So uh, now one, now a really good lead on from this is once you've placed it and it's at rest, so you, you see this really nice tuft of sort of grass and you go, oh, that'll be perfect as a tee. You place it there and then it rolls off straight away. Okay, the ball was never at rest, so you have to replace it. Or, yeah, you have to place it again, right? So you place it again, ball's at rest about three seconds, it's in play. Then you go back to check your clubs or check the distance and the ball rolls off, okay? The wind blew it, the water, whatever, uh, gravity, it rolls off that little tuft of grass. The ball is in play and you play it from its new position, you don't get to replace it back to where it rolled from unless you caused it to move or an outside influence caused it to move. Uh, now, if it's tee up, that's an interesting uh, situation because if it's protecting the course, then if it, the fact that it's fallen off the tee, we still want the player to play from the tee. So you just pick the ball up and put it back on the tee. But, you know, that's the, the sort of the little... Um, nuances with the the local rules, you know, it's easier. You just don't have the local rules and you just play it as it lies. But uh, conditions for golf courses uh, can vary uh, all around the world. Well, excellent work, mate. Clears up uh, what some people would have watched on at Wentworth, you know, the players moving their ball and just gives a little bit more context and uh, situational sort of um, awareness of what happens when you do play preferred lies. Not lift, clean and place, preferred lies. Now, there are a couple of other little uh, local rules that are likely to be experienced by players when they're out there on their weekend or weekday rounds. Now, you're very well done here and very well prepared here, giving me the numbers, and I'll refer to this one as E5. What is E5, Blakey? Well, you're never going to see local rule E5 on uh, a professional tour, okay? So local rule E5 is just off the top of my head, alternative to stroke and distance for a lost ball or a ball out of bounds. This is something that possibly about from uh, in sort of my position, I get to see a lot of local rules from clubs. And I'd say around 33% of clubs that have spoken to me have adopted this local rule. So, you know, 66% haven't adopted this local rule. A few were actually thinking, um, you know, we might bring it in depending on how the golf world sees it. Uh, A few were definitely against it. I didn't really think... You know, I, I honestly don't really think it's that necessary if uh, everyone just plays a provisional ball. But, you know, obviously uh, sometimes you hit a, uh, hit a ball and you think it's fine. And then, you know, if it's a stroke event, you don't really want to run back. I, I, again, I would just encourage people to hit a provisional ball, even if it's, uh, a, you know, there's a very slight chance of, of losing your first. But what this local rule is, is basically you tee off, you, you go down to find your ball and you can't find it. There's, uh, there's another group on the tee, so you don't want to waste their time. So you just work out, you just 
estimate where the ball would have uh, been lost. I mean, or where the ball would have gone out of bounds. And from that spot, you've got one club length basically to away from the fairway, which if it's out of bounds, you don't have one club length. But if it's just lost, you have one club length away from the fairway. And then on an equidistant point to the, to the edge of the fairway, the closest edge of the fairway uh, for the hole you're playing, you have one, uh, sorry, you have two club lengths uh, into the fairway. Okay, uh, I'm just going to check that one. But basically from that spot, so the equidistant, and then you get to drop, you don't have to drop it on that line. Uh, you can drop as far back as you wish. It just has to be within those two uh, parallel, oh, they'll be going away from each other. Uh, but it basically just has to be within that area. So you could have lost your ball with 100 metres to the flag. Um, you could be playing, you could then drop a ball 100 metres out. You could drop a ball 110 metres out. You could drop a ball 150 metres out if you wish. You know, it, it all depends on whether trees, you need to hit over trees or whatever. So um, there's a lot of sort of variation uh, there. Now, if, there, if you've lost it, um, if you've lost it short of the fairway, then the tee box would be your your reference point. The, so you might actually, you know, on a par three, you might actually have to come back to the tee box um, and, and that's where your reference point is. Does that, you know, you'd have a few questions for that one, I'd say, Roscoe. So run me through this scenario. Now, I don't play at a course that has uh, this rule, so I'm in the 66% of courses that don't operate that rule. Uh, there are a couple of holes where I think <laughs> I'd love it to be uh, that rule because uh, I tend to be over in that side of the fairway and more often than not, you know, it ends up in a lost ball. It's definitely not out of bounds because uh, there's plenty of area that is still part of the course, but, you know, if there was a pegs there, it should be out of bounds, but it's not. Um, so it's about 30 metres off the fairway. The occasional time when I spray on 30 metres right, you get down there, you haven't hit a provisional, you lose your ball. So I am 30 metres off the fairway. So if we had this rule, where would I be dropping the ball, taking stroke and distance for a ball lost down the fairway? Okay. Uh, That's the part that I still need some clarity around. How far out from the flag uh, is your ball? It's a par five, so I'm still two shots away. So many, many, many distances, many metres away from the flag. So let's say you're 380 metres away just to put a number on it. I'd probably hit my tee ball a bit further than 200, but, you know. <laughs> it's, a, it's a really, you take off the blacks. It's let's, a really say two, let's say 280, straight, but it doesn't matter. Yeah, okay, I'm being flag. silly. I'm being silly. <laughs> straight, straight into that howling east I just wanted to clarify <laughs> that in case the people don't think that I hit it very far because I'm pretty we, long we for my age. We already know that you blade your chips. <laughs> now we've uh, found out that you don't hit the tee ball too long. No, I'm massive, mate. I'm massive. Uh, so, let's say it's 280 metres. Okay, it's 280 metres, right? Now... To your right, you've got two club lengths. Okay, so I've just made sure that I clarified that. You've got two club lengths. Now, most likely that's going to be still in thick bush. Yeah, to, to my right, in this example that I'm articulating, is further in the kaka. And that's that's fine, but you still have, if you did find a spot, you'd still have two club lengths to the right. Okay. Or you can go back to your nearest um, point on the fairway, your equidistant point on the fairway. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, so we're 280 metres out from the right-hand side of the fairway. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. And you've got two club lengths into the fairway. Okay, so again, yep. just clarify that. You've got two club lengths into the fairway. Now that is your area, okay? And those so, are your outer limits, yeah. So that, those, that, your, that, those outer limits in this example, and I just said that it's 30 metres off the fairway where I've lost it in the kaka, and now the fairway is there. I can go two yep. club lengths into the fairway. I can go two yep. club lengths to the right. Yep. And then that 30-metre corridor back to the tee in line with the pin. Yeah, and, and you know, depending on the shape of the hole, it could be back in a, in a fairway. Um, if it was a, it was a, a left-to-right dog leg, yep. if it was a right-to-left, then it's most likely going to be onto another hole or something like that. That corridor, which is a perfect word for it, you can drop it anywhere in there, obviously dropping from knee height, mm. and it's a two-shot penalty. Mm. So now you'd be playing your fourth shot. Yep. 
If you're watching this in the video and you see me doing the hand gestures, maybe there's an idea for some of these poor guys at the airports around the world. You know, could be out in golf courses with their paddles, you know, directing the corridors. Because that's I, what that's what it looks like to me. They've got to go. You're over there or there, thirty meters apart. It's it's a it's a bit weird. If you haven't played it, for me, it's a bit weird to sort of fathom it. If you have played it and you do experience it on a weekly basis well, I hope you don't experience it on a weekly basis as a golfer <laughs> but you're at a golf club that has this rule and you might have experienced it as part of your golf please drop us a line let us know how it works for you how you've observed your playing partners or you've um you know play, had to experience it in some of the scenarios we'd love to hear because I know Blakey hasn't played you may have played and I don't know but I don't think in the, definitely haven't. not last three months you've not played there I haven't officially played under this rule, mm -hmm. uh, but I tried it one time when I was playing social golf and I felt like I was cheating. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, I lost my ball and all of a sudden I'm dropping a ball up there around where I thought that I'd lost it. And, it, you know, it's not cheating if the local rule isn't adopted, so don't, don't get me wrong on that. But it, to me, it just, it was, you know, I guess for other people, it's like putting with the flag stick in. You, you, you're habitual to not having to putt with the flag stick in. I'm habitual with, you know, you either go back to the tee with a bit of a sulk or you made sure you've hit a provisional ball. So to counteract this rule, they've, you know, they've made it possible, deem, um, declare a lot more area to be red penalty areas mm. or, or penalty areas. Um, and so, you know, if there is a sort of a, a big bushy area, you might, you know, that a lot of your members and a lot of the players hit their balls into, lose their balls, you might consider instead just calling it a penalty area rather than, uh, you know, a place that they can lose a ball. Now, one area for, for the Australians listening uh, that I think that this rule could be adopted and should be adopted in a lot of cases. Now, I think of one course not too far from where I sit where if it happened coming into summer, I would much prefer to play that rule. If I haven't played a provisional, of course, um, you know, it's where there's a high degree of snake activity. You know, So you, you go to, for example, a national where there is a high degree of snake activity and you do not, want, do not want to go too far into the rough looking for your ball because you are likely to come across a tiger or a brown or something like that, um, big, small or indifferent. But that would be where I'd be taking two shots, just dropping it out two club lengths into the fairway in my corridor corridor, um, and, and moving on. Yeah, see, that's, that's a really good call. Um, but at the same time, the people that play at those courses are so well known that, I, I most likely would have lost a ball or that snake's got my ball, um, I'll hit a provisional off the tee. Yeah, so so you, you're spot on, um, but at the same time, I would still encourage, if you do hit a provisional, that means you can't proceed with this local rule if, if the local rule's been adopted. If you do hit a provisional, you can't proceed with the local rule for the original ball, mm. but you could proceed with the this local rule for the provisional ball if you also hit, hit that into the bunda. Now, speaking of bunda, I just want to clarify one other part that's related to this rule, and it's uh, probably more relevant to our travelling American listeners, and we do have some listeners in America, in America, and we see that through the stats, and hello to you. Uh, when you go to Ireland and you hit one in the bunda over there or the hay or whatever you call it, and the caddy offers you an Irish drop, and he offers you a one-shot penalty, that's actually not a rule of golf. That is just that is just uh, an Irish drop is not an official rule of golf. I just want to clarify that. Oh, we're just playing Irish drop. Have you ever played Irish drop, David? Not for a competition round, no. Have you ever had anyone ring you up at uh, and say, mate, my mate told me that Irish drop's fine? <laughs> no? Uh, well, I actually, I've had a fair few uh, tell me what the rules actually are, uh, you know, when from Instagram and, and YouTube. Um, there you go. Well, Irish Irish drop is uh, you know something that a, ca a caddy affords you uh, when you're usually playing in Ireland, and you know if you hit it into the hay and you can't find it, you just drop it out in the fair, or drop maybe not even on the fairway, but drop, just drop one where you think it is. You take one shot and move on. It's actually not the rule, but that's, uh, that's when you have a hole in your pocket, isn't it? And you just slip a, another ball down there, and it sort of drops out. I tell you, they, they call Found it, it. It's a it's a thing over there. They call it Irish drop. Just take an Irish drop. There you go. Um, I, I uh, just. Just to finish that, um, you know, I certainly like playing golf in my home country uh, because there's no snakes in the rough. So, um, you know, if you ever get down to New Zealand, uh, 
don't don't delay play, but go your hardest at trying to find balls in the rough because you won't get bitten by snakes. No snakes in New Zealand. No snakes. Well, you know, apart from the human kind, there's no snakes in New Zealand. <laughs> and there's a hint for your uh, background bingo for this week. If you are tuning in on YouTube, the another picture there behind Blakey, and I think it uh, the only hint that it may that it may still be from his uh, native homeland, um, although he classifies as an Australian these days as well. Um, <laughs> the, this one's got my heart, so uh, can't really go past it. There you go. Well, well, Mike, mine is a little bit closer to home. I've moved back down to the Southern Hemisphere. Yeah, is bit- this uh, – oh, actually, outside of PK, this would be back to – yeah, this would be your first in oh. the Southern Hemisphere, I think. First in the Southern Hemisphere. I'm not sure if we've had a PK, but yeah, first in the Southern Hemisphere and close to home for me. Um, but go your hardest on picking that one. And congratulations to who we had a winner, did we not? Andrew Miller, of course. Andrew he's Miller. Killing it. He's a frequent flyer in the uh, background bingo. If, he's definitely leading the season um, ending, season uh, long background bingo. So he correctly picked uh, your background course as Wanaka. The, yep. from the beautiful township of Wanaka, what a place to visit. And yep. the one of obscurity, which I threw in there thinking that it would catch a few people, he got that as well. It's uh, spelt C-R-U-I-T, but it's pronounced Critch. Now, I talked about Irish drop. I took a couple of Irish drops at this place when I played out there uh, one summer's Irish evening. Uh, Critch Island is probably one of the greatest nine-hole courses that you will ever come across in County Donegal up there in the northwest coast of Ireland. It is... One amazing place, uh, somewhat spiritual to me. It was the favourite golf course of my late great uncle, my dad's twin brother. Uh, he had some Irish connections through his um, in-laws and he would go there and it was his favourite golf course. He would love going there and I went there on a bit of a trip and retraced his steps because he was uh, a favourite uncle of mine and had a wonderful round of golf there. One of the best par threes you'll ever see. That was the hole that I took a picture of and um, yeah, just a, a magical place if you ever get there. Um, go and see that. Now, just a shout out, if you want to see a really good picture of Critch Island, a really good picture of Critch Island, go onto the Instagram of Airswing Media. Now, Nick Wall, uh, who's been a guest of mine on the My Love of Golf podcast, uh, has loves that whole northwest coast of Ireland, uh, f- has photographed it for years, currently, you know, bummed out because he can't travel there. He has taken some of the best po- pictures of Critch Island, if you want to go and check that out. But he also may have taken that picture that you, you've got there, uh, Blakey, so I just wanted to give Nick from Airswing Media a bit of a shout out for the picture that you've got. The picture that I've got here, I took myself. Um, anyway, what else we got? Uh, relief from young trees. We've talked about this a little bit before. It comes up to at Mornington a little bit. There's a few areas with young trees. It used to come up at Cessnock State Trees. What's uh, E10 all about, Blakey? Yeah, so E10, uh, this is a common one more. Uh, I haven't seen it. <sighs> many other parts of the world, but I'm certainly, uh, let me know if it is at your golf course, uh, outside of Australia and New Zealand. Uh, but yeah, protection of young trees, uh, is a very, uh, common local rule at golf courses in Australia and New Zealand. And, you know, it's for the committee to decide how they're going to, uh, sort of designate or deem, uh, you know, how they identify or how players identify uh, which ones they can get relief on. And as I said before, those sort of two principles for local rules where you're you're either protecting the player or protecting the course, this one here would be protecting the course. You know, you don't want someone getting in there near a a tree that you've just planted and taking a swing and and bashing it um, and, you know, so that it it doesn't last. So... You're basically E10 is making trees or you know, young trees that need protection, um, whether they have a stake or a guard or not. Uh, you're making them a no play zone. So you might say, you know, the the committee might say the young trees that uh, have a guard or a stake beside them, they are a no play zone. You must take relief if you've got interference to your swing, stance, or uh, lie of the ball. Uh, or what we commonly see, and I don't really like it um, because it's so open to interpretation, but what we do commonly see is any tree under two club lengths in height, you get 
free relief basically because that is also a no play zone. So I don't like that one as much. Uh, it leaves it to a lot of interpretation. Um, it's easier just to go and have stakes there. I mean, that's that can be a little bit hard if you've just planted two and a half thousand trees, um, but you might want to just stake that whole sort of area off if that's the case. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, the stakes or guards, you can just, you can take them out when the tree is matured and doesn't need uh, protection anymore. Uh, but the best way to do it is just, yeah, put a guard or a stake there. The player knows to get relief. It's a no play zone. And uh, when the guard or stake has been removed, it's now not a it's not a no play zone. It's played as it lies. Yeah, the questionable thing about the under two club links, and I can't remember where it was that uh, had that local rule in in place of where I've played in the past. But yeah, you know, there are plenty of mature trees that don't grow to a height of more than you know two driver links. So you know that was always the question. You know, you you would definitely see someone getting relief, free relief from a mature tree because it hadn't grown to you know, more than 88 and, you know, 89 inches in height and never was going to grow in 89 inches in height. So, yeah, but the the rule there is, you know, if, you, if they're staked um, and you get relief, you know, it's designed to protect the course. So, you know, the other thing that comes to mind is don't go pulling your buggy through there and knocking the stakes over and doing all that thing or walking over some of the young trees that, you know, if the stakes come out, you know, just try and protect the course, you know, because there's a whole crew of green staff there that are, you know, trying really hard to beautify the course and make the course uh, as great as it can be for you. So, you know, give them the respect of, of um, you know, keeping your buggies and be, being careful in there, and that's why those rules exist. Yeah, exactly right. Um, you know, someone's had the gone to the thought of putting these trees in, whether we like trees or not. Um, you know, they can, they can, they do have their place on a golf course. And uh, you know we should be protecting them uh, where necessary, or, you know where we can. Now, Blakey, moving on to our, our last uh, little uh, local rule that we'll cover off today. It's it's F five. Do you want me to uh, run the YouTube uh, first there? Uh, no, that's okay. There is a couple of YouTube videos, um, and we have shown this one, or not that one, uh, but we have shown one a situation like this. Um, in a previous video, or a previous episode, sorry. So uh, Bryson DeChambeau, second last hole at the US Open. He obviously got free relief from this situation. Uh, actually, he might have had, I might be wrong, he might have had interference with the actual sprinkler head, whereas this local rule was about interference with your line of play. So uh, let's just... Yeah, let's let's. Uh, I'll make sure that my YouTube's up to date and see if I've actually got one on there. But I just want to explain this. So basically, this local rule F five is about immovable obstructions close to the putting green. So the local rule, the principle of the local rule is that you're so close to the green to putt, but all of a sudden there's this immovable obstruction. You know, usually, usually a sprinkler head. Uh, so now you're, now you think, oh, I can't putt, I have to chip. So the, what the committee is, uh, could bring in this local rule and say, well, that seems a little bit unfair since the, the, it's such a nice, um, fair way to putt on. It's really close to the green. Um, you know, we shouldn't have to make them hit a chip or a pitch shot, uh, when they've got themselves so close to the green. So we'll bring in this local rule. Now this local rule, you need three things to, be able to proceed under this local rule. You need the ball to be, or the sprinkler head, the, the immovable obstruction, to be interfering on the line of play between the ball and the hole. Now, the, the hole could be here, the ball could be here, but you're actually hitting it that way and the sprinkler head's over this way. That's fine. That's on your line of play. You know, that can happen. That is okay. Most of the time, it's just going to be a straight shot or a small deviation, but sometimes it can be um, out. But if, if your line of play was over this way, and again, I'm showing things uh, on the video, on the Zoom video, using my hands. So if you're listening to the podcast, it might, this might be a little bit hard. Uh, but if your 
if the sprinkler head is between you and the flag, but that's not your line of play, then you're not going to get relief. Okay. The second thing is your ball has to be within two club lengths of the immovable obstruction. Okay, so your ball has to be within two club lengths of the immovable obstruction. And the third thing is that you have to, uh, as a requirement, is the immovable obstruction must be within two club lengths of the green. Yeah. Okay, if you don't have uh, if you don't have all three of those, you're not going to be able to get free relief for this situation. So just to recap, must be on your intended line of play. Yeah, must be the immovable obstruction itself must be sighted within two club lengths of the putting surface, and yep. your ball must be within two club lengths of it. Yes, correct. Okay. Now there could be an extra modification to this local rule by the committee, and they and like such as the ball and the immovable obstruction must both be in grass cut to fairway height. Right. And this is this is one that we will most likely see on the tour. Mm-hmm. So if you have the th- the three things, line of play within two club links, within two club links, but your ball's in the rough and the immovable obstructions in the rough or in the fairway, you're not going to get relief on the tour under that local rule because you're not normally get you're not going to putt from the rough. Yep. So why should you get free relief? for this local rule that's all that's mainly about putting. Now, the course that you're a member at, they're sort of, correct me if I'm wrong, but most of the time they're, it's really tightly cut around the fairway, around the green, apart from the bunkers that are so close to the greens, but it's really tightly cut, mostly surrounded by fairway. It's not your, you know, it's not... Uh, yeah, it's not rough to the long, edge. Yeah. Long, rough, that's sort of a foot or two foot, which is what we saw at the US Open. Yeah. The courses that have, you know, a small fringe and then a very deep rough, they're not going to, you know, they're not normally going to bring in this local rule because it's it's not something that's going to occur at, their, at that course very often, whereas yeah. the sandbelt courses that we live around, it very much will be a common occurrence and that's why most courses uh, around here will have this local rule in yep. play. That's F5. And the thing is immovable. So you're still going to have other um, traffic uh, management uh, movable obstructions around there, which you can move regardless of being within two clubs. You know, so if it's those, you know, whether it's a hoop or whether it's the, uh, you know, our place has timber with spikes on the bottom that just direction, you know, stops you, f- you know, protects the course again from wear and tear, you know, you can actually move that and, and you don't have to be within two club lengths of the green or of that. That doesn't have to be within two club lengths of the green. You know, if you're chipping from 20 metres away and you want to play a bump and run and you think you're going to hit that, you can move it, yeah? Yeah, if it's movable obstruction... Uh, you can always move it. It doesn't matter where your ball is. It doesn't matter where the movable obstruction is. You can always move it. Now, the only change to that would be if the course has stipulated that that hoop or that rope and rope and uh, stake uh, or the little cart sign saying carts this way, if they've made them immovable obstructions, then you wouldn't be able to move it and you also wouldn't be able to get free relief if it was on your line of play outside of that two club links, two club links type thing. Okay. Very good. No, I don't, I don't need to play the video here. So we're not, we're no, not, no, okay. that's, uh, that's all good. It's, uh, it's myself and Marcella and I think it's not actually the F5. It's, uh, it's actually, um, it was just a 16.1 situation where the ball was actually on top of the sprinkler head. So, uh, yeah, don't uh, – I'll see if I can find uh, one of those F5 situations. Or, Roscoe, that might be your and my, um, you know, goal for uh, summer is to make sure we um, create film, some content. Film an F5 situation. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> don't, don't worry if it uh, involves just missing a green to the left or to the right. I'll be I'll be there. I'll be there or thereabouts <laughs> because it's less likely that I'm going to be on the green in two at the moment. But uh, So I'll probably create plenty of opportunities and, and even some from the rough. If I'll find a sprinkler in the rough to demonstrate. Don't worry. That sounds good. Now, uh, yeah, we've gone through background bingo. I don't think we've had any Ivers 
uh, unless people have heard of us um, saying something that we shouldn't have. Ha- I mean, I can happy to be called a rule here. And there. Happy, happy for the listeners to call an either on me, on you, uh, as they did uh, previously for uh, my mistake in 1744, 1784 or whatever, you know, I, as I said, I got it right in one part of that uh, podcast. Uh, that <laughs> but, um, yeah, happy for you to call an Ivor and have some fun with us on that. Happy for you to ask a question and send in your questions. We'll answer those and we'll do our best to give you the uh, response on the podcast. If you want to have a crack at background bingo, please jump over to the YouTube Check that out. That's a lot of fun. Uh, if you want to sponsor any of these segments, you know, please let us know. We, we're, we're open. Uh, we're not cheap. We're not free, but we're open. All right. I'll just say that. And um, actually, I've got a new segment. I just really want to really quickly, Roscoe. Yes, go go for it. Golf rules question of the week. Golf rules question of the week. There we go. Yeah. A new golf segment. rules questions of the week, and we'll leave it right till last, so that uh, people have to listen all the way through. Okay. So, so question from the listener. Question from the listener to you, which we answer. Question of the week. Yeah. Uh, no question from me to the listeners that they have to answer. Oh. oh okay. They have to have a go at, and we will, we will uh, tell you the answer next week in episode thirteen. Oh, I like it. Have you got a question for this week? I do. I do. Oh, this is, this, the, see, this is, the this answer, is podcasting on the fly. The question, I love it. I love it. The question, uh, number one for Golf Rules question of the week, starting in episode 12, is can you, yes, you, Roscoe, can you, everyone, declare a ball lost? Can you declare a ball lost? And that's where we shall finish. Can you declare a ball lost? So write in, email in, text in, Instagram in, YouTube in, can you declare a ball lost? Give Blakey your best shot at uh, your response to that and uh, hopefully we can get a winner. I'm, I'm sure we will. What do they, what do they win? Uh, my they, <laughs> they win my... Uh, See, that's why we need a sponsor, Blakey, because they've got to win something. The listeners have got to win something. If you're going to engage them, we've got to promise them something. So we will find them something, all right? Blakey, it's been great. They, they win my admiration. Well, I'm sure they've already – everyone, there's 77,000 Instagram followers that have got your admiration there, Blakey, so you don't have to go looking for any more, just saying. But uh, we'll find something that the people can win because we are a podcast of the people. Everyday golfers, everyday rules for everyday golfers like you and me. Uh, that's what we do. Blakey, that should be our tagline. It's been – I've probably got a couple of podcasts where I've used it in the past, but uh, we could use it on this one as well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Blakey, it's been great to catch up with you again. You are the master of rules, and uh, we'll get back out there on the golf course very soon. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, it's just coming into season for us. If you are listening to other parts of the world, we do appreciate you listening to a couple of uh, token Aussies. You know, we are Aussies, we are, but we're international here, so we love you uh, listening in and uh, do appreciate you. Until next time we speak, Blakey, are you going to say goodbye? Thank you very much, everyone, and uh, talk to you later. Thanks for listening to the Golf Rules Questions podcast, and we'll see you on the next episode. Thank you very much. Thank you.